because you, you are the first guest on the podcast that, you know, uh, basically found me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Welcome to another episode of Brilliant, a podcast about innovation, experience, and design. I'm your host, Justin Dobb, and this week, we move from the Enterprise to the Ivory Tower. And in advance, I'll apologize for a few dropouts in the remote audio feed. Despite the technical difficulties, it's a great interview. Stay tuned. So uh, my name is John Tudors, uh, currently a doctoral student at UNC Charlotte. Um, I retired uh, Bank of America and multiple industry uh, executive and uh, currently an adjunct professor of innovation uh, for UNC Charlotte and Queens University. Well, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hope you had a great holiday season. I did indeed. And, you know, before we get started, I'm just curious, how did you run across me and, and, uh, the book and all those things. It's funny. I was doing just, just exploring, right. Just kind of seeing what's going on out there. I knew I had, um, upcoming spring semester. I wanted to, I wanted to change a little bit up getting in there and I had come across, I think it was a LinkedIn or what have you, but you're, it came across and what grabbed my attention was kind of that story based telling the story with design thinking. And it just grabbed my eye. Why don't you just give me a little bit of your background, like what all are you doing right now and, and how did you get there? Yeah, a wild, uh, wild journey at all. Um, so how I got here was probably not normal. Um, came to Bank of America. I was with a lot of different companies prior to coming to Bank of America in 2001. Um, really operations, product strategy, a lot of data work. Um, came to the bank and all of a sudden really got thrown into product. So it was product management, product development, product strategy. And for B of A, for about eight years, they moved me around. So I led the credit card business. I led the checking business, uh, led the debit business. And then a lot of them, just I guess my approach to it had a lot to do with what's next. What is the research telling us? What is it yeah. that we have to build? And they were starting up a uh, innovation team they called Design and Transformation uh, for the bank. And just asked if it's something that I'd want to, you know, jump into and build out. It started with a team of six and five years later ended with a team of, you know, 60. So it was, um, it was really a different circle than probably most, but got into it, uh, in a way that probably expressed to them. I like new things. I like building. And, uh, that was something they were looking for. They needed somebody that had product experience didn't mind changing um, a lot of what was going on, had some good relationships across research teams, technology teams, patent lawyers, you name it. And so that's how we built it up. So yeah, that was the first real stint into just pure innovation work. So uh, my, my ears are telling me you are not from Charlotte. No, I grew up in Queens, New York. This was my guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Queens, New York. Uh, I worked for the New York Yankees for a few years, came down to North Carolina. And um, like I said, a couple of consulting firms and wound up at B of A. Interesting. A lot of companies say they have an innovation team right. and it can mean very different things. Oh, sure. Um, if you could talk a little bit about really what did that mean and you know how much freedom did you have to explore? Could you fail? What were the guidelines? Great question. Um, yeah, it was interesting. You know, what it meant really when they brought it together was they had, Justin, probably four or five different teams, right, doing different things, doing flavors of innovation, and they really wanted to bring it together. They felt that there was a lot of um, a lot of teams chasing the silver bullet, right? You know, oh, that's a shiny object. Let's go ahead and build that. It was more of 
let's build it and hopefully somebody will want it and sell it. And so they wanted to just turn it on its head. And that's really how it started. You know, they, they centralized it. And, and as you know, probably working with a lot of companies, once you centralize something, it starts going well, everybody wants a piece of it. And yeah. so for years, it was very much as we were building out the team, you know, I had, it was kind of a hub and spoke. We had designers that, uh, you know, the spokes of a technology lead, marketing leads, research leads, um, lawyers, you name it. And so we kind of built this process and it was the first time I think the bank ever had an innovation process that included everyone. Because usually it was a black box, right? And so this yeah. was including everyone. It was more of a pull instead of a push. And they liked it. Um, and so we were able to we were able to fail, which was good. Um, we were able to fail in very quick stints, which was nice. Um, there were, as you can imagine, at a big company, you had snipers, right? You have people that just... <laughs> want to take it out for one reason or the other. And the biggest thing, you know, you tell the team, just, just stay with the customer's voice, continue to build, continue to validate. We brought employees into the mix to help test so they can feel it and brought it, you know, bring it to life. And that's yeah. how it was. It was positive. There were some things that we were way ahead of its time and it wasn't ready yet. Um, but there were a lot of things that we were able to get out there and, and really test through. Um, and it was tough. Big companies, tough to innovate in. Yeah. Yeah. And so especially at, you know, 2000, 2001, you know, everything was new, really. Yeah, everything was new. Mobile really wasn't kicking in yet. And it started to, um, I'll give you a quick, you know, you know, mobile deposits where you deposit your check with your phone. In 2008, uh, we're building out testing, we're building patents, uh, we're building the prototypes. Senior executive in a meeting, I'll never forget it, stands up and says, this is a bar trick. Nobody's going to use it. It's a bar trick. <laughs> and, and, you know, we just kept going. And, you know, four months later, Chase came out with a version of it. And they had issues. They sped through it too much. They had a lot of fraud issues. And that same executive just had to eat pie, you know, because, you know, people weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for certain innovative things to come through. And so, you know, you work on something for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden the funding will dry up because somebody's just not ready for it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so how, you know, before then, uh, were you in innovation roles before B of A? No, I wasn't. It was it was very much, you know, a lot of data. Uh, started with database marketing, did a lot of um, strategy work with a couple of different companies in the wireless industry as well. But nothing before that. And while I started doing that innovation group, that's, that's kind of when I got into teaching. It was... Folks had reached out, some of the professors at a couple of universities wanted me to guest lecture. And so I got in and started guest lecturing about, you know, innovating in a big company, do's and don'ts, uh, learnings and all that, and, and just really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so, you know, with UNC Charlotte, they had reached out. They had a front end of innovation class for their MBA program, but really didn't have a true innovation course. And so I helped them build out one of the professors there and then we co-taught it for two for two years um and so that was the first movement into really teaching fell in love with it and then they allowed me after that professor retired to take that class on and i've been teaching it ever since so it's it's part of their innovation focus in their mba program and it's it's kind of a mainstay now yeah it's interesting i received my mba from kellogg around 2004 i guess i graduated in the executive program and they really didn't have an innovation track at that right. point. They right. do now. They have actually, it's very built out and there's some really amazing, um, I've met a lot of professors and 
both full-time and adjunct that are, you know, helping people in the enterprise learn new tricks. But it seems like it's being embraced now. Yeah. So yeah. when you do have students, I'm assuming a lot of them are actually fairly experienced. I knew in my MBA program, you know, we had people who were running Fortune 500 companies, right. all the way down to people who were just a few years out of out of school. Right. But what what are the common questions you get from students about taking innovation back into the enterprise? Yeah, that's a good question. And it is. It varies. I mean, to your point, a lot of the graduate students there, they some have been in career for 15 plus years. Uh, some are just getting into it. But a lot of different, especially in Charlotte, a lot of what they're really trying to bring back, they're trying to bring back a process. That's one thing that they, they really do try to get out. So understanding you know, design thinking, how does that process work? And then hearing from me practically, you know, what are the pitfalls to it? You know, what do you need to think about it? They also like to hear where there's issues or complications for innovation that they feel on a daily basis. You know, me talking about that from other other companies makes them feel a little better too. They understand that this is not easy. If it was easy, you know, a ton of people can just dive in and you know, take it over. <laughs> So they know it's yeah. not easy. They're really looking for they're looking for guidance. They're looking for tools. They're looking for processes. Um, they're trying to understand how to see it differently. And then you get a lot of the younger uh, graduate students like, how do I get more into this type of work? Um, and, you know, that's always a tough answer because it's, it's not an easy path. It's not like I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go do this. Doing innovation, I mean, if you look at people's backgrounds, I mean, look at your background, look at my background, it's completely different and folks yep. get into it in many different ways. And so I tell them there's a million ways to get into it. It's just more of a mindset than anything else. So that's that's a lot of what they're they're looking for and they get out of it. Yeah, I like to tell people if you, if you weren't a clock smasher as a child, you know, right. you might have to go smash the clock. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I'm a builder. I mean, that's, that's how I yeah. was with the bank. That's how I've been after the bank. I like building new things. I like starting from scratch. I like seeing where the needs are and, and kind of, you know, designing. So that's um, it's more of a mindset than a background or a degree. Talk a little bit about how do you structure uh, a class about innovation? You know, we've talked that yeah. it's, you know, it's not natural for a lot of people, really, the kind of exploration in the process. Um, so how do you how do you teach people to, one, kind of let go of, of their uh, pre-existing notions and to really, you know, start observing? Yeah. No, it's good. The way we set it up um, is usually about 30 students, give or take. And the way we set it up in the beginning of the class, I'm, I'm trying to get an understanding from them of what they think innovation is at all. Um, throughout the semester, every time we start class, I'm asking them to give me um, descriptions, um, ideas of what they're seeing out there and they think is innovation. And so it's it, throughout the semester, we're, we're constantly looking at what are you seeing out there? What do you believe it is? And trying to come to this foundational agreement of what it is and what it's not. So that's one thing that we do just overall. So they have an opportunity as individuals to do that. Um, we do a lot of group work. So they get into groups of five, four or five, and we go through the, the full design thinking process. Mm -hmm. We have ideation sessions where we do ID, you know, uh, ID, ideation tournaments. Yep. We have prototyping sessions. Um, we talk about and bring and I bring in patent attorneys where they're talking about IP. We'll have a couple of, you know, a panel come in of um, entrepreneurs that have started up businesses around whether it's digital innovation or what have you to talk about that. So it's a constant really trying to reshape their mind of innovations all around you and not just to look at it as a consumer, but look at it as the designer. 
and and what is what has gone into that? Who's the end user? You know, what kind of design? You know, everything from sound to smell to sight to utility. What do you think went into that? Just trying to get them thinking a little bit differently and some conformity. Um, but as teams, they also then figure out how to innovate as a team, which is not an easy task. Yeah. For and sure. so that's a lot of the learning too. It's you're, you're, you're listening, you know, you're going through empathy and you're listening to, to your, to your customer. Are you all hearing the same thing? How do you ideate? Cause an idea is easy, right? But how do you, how do you narrow down good ideas? Cause every baby's pretty until you put it up against <laughs> another one. Right. And so how do you teach them to do that? How do you teach yeah. them to do that respectfully? How do you teach them not to jump to the conclusion of what they think it, you know, this customer needs before they do all of these steps? Which they all do. It's a tendency, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And that's kind of how we developed our narrative-based process. One of the influences was at that step, just because you, in your head, are making a lot of leaps of faith. And, right. And at that point, when you're trying to evaluate an idea, our philosophy is you need to start writing the story of how someone comes to it and how they walk through it. Because it. it'll start to expose the holes in your reasoning and, yeah. you know, does it really work the way you think it will? Because if you can't describe it, Right. They really don't know what you have. Right. And that's well said. And and we talk about that, especially when you get to people have to invest in what you're doing. You, you have to sell the fact of not only is this a great idea, but it's a great idea because, you know, because you've tested with customers. It fills the need. The storyline has no gaps. And so, you know, that's what really grabbed my attention with the approach you guys take. I love the idea of the story. It does highlight where the where the big chasms are. And and it gives these I think it's going to give the students a chance to be able to say to your point, if you can't simply tell me the storyline, you don't get it yet or you really see where those gaps are. And hence, nobody's going to give you funding or dollars or whatever it is to be able to continue that build out. And, and that's why I think it's, a, it's, it's such a great fit. You know, we talked about doing innovation in the enterprise. And the other side of that was the only way to sell something to a group of people with disparate um, motivations and uh, incentives yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, their, in their, you know, employment contracts is yeah. to be able to tell that fulfilled story on how it's going to not only help the customer, but really help the business. Right. Yeah, you're right. Everybody, they're all going to have that self-agency, right? They, they have a, an idea of what's going to be best interest and anchoring on, on the customer's voice, anchoring on, you know, the design and the prototyping and the cycles you've done to gain input and why you've done it this way. People listen to that and, and that gives the confidence from a business standpoint that it's going to sell. You know, a, a big piece we talk about throughout class and I tell them, there's a lot of things you can innovate but you should innovate on what you should, not what you could, right? There's a lot of things you can yep. just innovate on and, and it doesn't matter, right? People, you see a lot of stuff out there. It's like, well, that was innovative and built just because it could be, not because it should be, whether it's the time or, or the need is there. So we talk about that a lot. And, and as they're bringing those up throughout the semester, I ask, is that a could or a should? You know, what's the story yep. behind that? Uh, what do you think are the key designs that went into that type of service and or product. So it's, it kind of helps spur that conversation them thinking a little different. Yeah, there's that classic IDEO Venn diagram. And oh, yeah. I've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, right? So it has to be viable, it has to be sustainable, and it has to be desirable. If you only have two of those three, That's it's, right. not a it's not a business. No, it's not a business. And the timing has got to be right. You know, and it can yep. probably have all of those, but if the timing is off, whether it's a 
purchase timing, whether it's an adoption overall timing, whether the technology itself is not where it needs to be at. But the timing piece is key too. We, we used to have an imaginary closet and we would finish with a product and our service and it just wasn't ready. And I'd say, put it in the closet. We can bring it out at any point, but the timing has got to be right. And so nothing gets thrown away. It just gets closet. And I think that's another piece that they have to grab too. Yeah. It makes me think of, I don't know if you remember on live. So it was the first kind of game streaming service. I don't um, remember that. No. So now they're all, you know, basically all of the pieces are available now to do, you know, like Google Stadia and and, Apple Arcade and, uh, well, Apple Arcade's a little different. That's running kind of locally when you, when you download it, but Stadia is all rendered in the cloud and you're just seeing a video stream of this game you're playing. And so OnLive tried to do this five years ago, seven years ago. Right. Um, Needless to say, great idea that just <laughs> was not, you know, people didn't have the broadband connections to support it. Right. Um, right. So timing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's only a great idea if you can sell it. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And, you know, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of as the students are going through and they've come up with things like uh, you can only imagine, you know, for um, handicapped students at college, they came out with these these directional path lights and 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 desks that transform into um a more usable you know classroom experience i mean pretty powerful things and i tell them in the beginning think big because i'm not asking you to actually build this thing nobody's got time to do that and when you do that it opens them up i mean they can they can think about the types of designs and needs and all this that come to play and at the end it's really powerful i mean they get to see kind of the you know, here's an example of something you brought through, but bringing it back to your firm, you know, bringing back the process, bringing back the how you, you know, talk to your clients and customers, how you sold the story. It, it kind of ties it in. But that end unit, when they do that, that kind of shark tank conversation at the end of the semester to a panel I put together, it's kind of fun. What Uber solved had nothing to do with technology, right? I right. Mean, there's, there's a lot of problems with Uber. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Plenty. But, um, uh, you know, there were so many areas of social discomfort around hailing a taxi, right? Yeah, yeah. Uncertain, just generally fall into uncertainty, both socially and kind of um, uh, financially, right? How do you how do you get out of a cab in front of your friends when you're, how much do you tip? Do you look cheap? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you look like a fool, right? So right. they solved all of those things, and that was the innovation. The app right. was just an app. Right, that was just the means, yeah. You're right, they had all the experiences that were suffering. Just curious, um, what what are you teaching these days about what's next, right? How are you how are yeah. you getting your students to f- kind of think ahead uh, five years? I mean, the best way to predict uh, to be wrong is to predict the future. That's so. right. <laughs> but wrong, so, right? how do you, as a, a, a an educator, yeah, help them to start to think that way? Well, a lot. This this probably two pieces. A lot of what I focus on with the students when we're talking about future is the other skill sets. That's one thing I focus on. And then we talk a little bit more about what do we foresee innovation to be looking like. But I focus on the skill sets. A lot of um, a lot of the research that I do for my for my doctorate degree that I'm in the process of is around AI and digital technologies impact on future workforce. Like what are the skills necessary to to be successful and what do you have to have in order to be successful and what's here and what's coming when it comes to AI and and digital innovation, whether it's critical thinking, creativeness, you know, empathy, emotional intelligence, whatever it is, these are skill sets that every, every, everywhere you read, everybody, every research you see, 
these are skills that are going to be necessary to work, you know, work alongside uh, in the future. And so we talk about that. Um, the other piece that we talk about is kind of you know, exponential innovation. And I, and I, you know, I talk to folks and the biggest thing they go to quickly, just as you can imagine when we're talking about needs, well, we can build an app for that. You know, it's a very fast, you know, that's where they go to quick. And I talk about, there's so much technology to build upon and we use the word yeah, bricolage yeah. and it's like, how do you take innovation? The drone, for instance, which just scares me half to death, but the drone. And yeah, you say, yeah. how do you innovate on top of that? I said, because that's, that's going to be a lot of what, of what innovation and the speed of innovation is going to have. It's how do you take what's here now and how do you build on top of that to fulfill needs? Not everything's got to come from scratch. And, and so there's so much, there's so many foundational platforms of innovation now, you know, a virtual reality, there's all these different foundations. Think about 3D printing, right? Think about how do you innovate using that? And that's where you use the term bricolage. So I talk about those two things, skill sets of future of what you need to be an innovator. And then, and then that, that kind of building blocks on what's already there to help fulfill needs because of the speed of innovation. And that's, that's really a lot. When I talk about future, that's, that's as far as the prediction as I think I'll go. Yeah. We also try to tell our clients, right. So think of an end state that hasn't, don't mention technology, right. Right. What are you, what are you trying to achieve for that person? And you can always backfill in the technology, right. Whether it's VR or like if you, we we do a lot of work and, you know, uh, with, with a client that we're trying to, understand what it's going to be like uh, aging in the home for boomers. Gotcha. And, you know, a lot of the innovation work that we see in the market, right, is talking about safety, Yeah. where we realize that being engaged and learning is really probably more critical to having a fulfilled life. Yeah. As you go forward. Yeah. Then just being safe. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, yep. So then you start to say, okay, what does that mean? And then, you know, then you can backfill, okay, what technologies are coming down the line to satisfy those end states. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the great path to go because then you get that opportunity of what's out there now to fulfill that and what can be enhanced on it. Or is there nothing out there right now? And what does that mean from scratch of innovation? But you're right. It's starting with that component to be able to, to fill it. And, and, you know, I go back to your story and, and the hero journey and all that. That's a powerful way to make sure that when you get to the end, you didn't forget about the hero. You didn't forget about, <laughs> yeah. Because think about it. I mean, it happens all the time. I've, I've seen it at big companies. I've seen it now at smaller companies. You start out with the right need. But it gets watered down over time, whether it's financial reasons, whether it's those snipers that keep minimizing, whether six or seven other people needed to do this or, you know, theory of one. And it comes down at the end and it's so watered down. It's not even near what's going to fill the need of what you had in the beginning. But those journeys, those stories almost secure it and force it to say when you get to the end, if you're still not solidifying that need for that hero journey, what have you, that's a gap. And I think that's a that's a good litmus test. Well, I'm glad I have a convert. Yeah, oh, I, I, it didn't take long. It didn't take long. I, it's you know, it's one of the things even outside of innovation. Before that, it was you got to tell a story. Whether it's you know selling strategic roadmaps of where you're going. I led fraud for Bank of America for four years, all of global fraud, and boy, you've got to do a lot of selling and and the storylines on you know. Um, your hackers in Tel Aviv on a Friday night because we don't have this technology. We can, you know, you got to go through those stories. And we used to build segments of perps, you know, of, of fraudsters. 
and it's they became you know the target of our innovation right the the kind of reciprocated innovation to to kind of combat what they were doing but it grabbed me quickly because when you bring that in with with the design thinking process and innovation it just made a ton of sense right from the bat you know teaching is very different than than you know working full-time in an enterprise Mm -hmm. and then you start to develop different perspectives Uh, what would you take back to uh, say if you were back at b of a from after you know being in this environment yeah oh it's a great question there's a lot of there's a lot of academic research. There's a lot of theory. There's a lot of um, just overall tests and in other industries and what's been done that that when I was sitting inside of B of A, I never saw. I never had access to, didn't really, you know, and peers of mine didn't really use a lot of what was out there. And, and being in academia here for a while, I start to see how that can be bridged. Um, a lot. I, I think it can be bridged a ton in learnings going back and utilizing a lot of that information and research and theory. But I also think one of the things I'm trying to do is create the bridge the other way as well. I think there's a lot of focus in academia that they're a little off on. And, and you know, if you kind of bring that practicality into it, it can steer some of that as well. So I'm trying to do yep. both. But I think going back, um, you know, say tomorrow I went and worked for another bank. I'd probably bring a lot of the, the research and theory work that's been done in general around around innovation, around you know uh, adoptive uh, you know uh, research that's been done around technology. Um, it's, it's just there's so much there that y- you were using the practical experience when you were doing it, but there yeah. was so much theoretical and foundational stuff that was already there that people just don't know how to get into the practical mainstream. I would say that's what I would bring back. So. I'm a prospective MBA student, mm-hmm. hypothetically. Yep. Um, and I come up to you and say, you know, I don't know, do I really need to, to learn innovation? I'm a pretty creative guy. Mm-hmm. Do I need to learn this process. What do you tell them? And I've had that question a lot. I've had the two questions I've had the most. That's one. The second one is, do I need an MBA? Right. Just the general yep. conversation. And I have a good answer for that one, too. But the first one, um, what I tell them is, no matter no matter what industry you're in, uh, no matter what uh, area of the of that company and the specific unit and, and task that you're associated with and background, the ability to the ability to sell, the ability to understand insights, the ability to understand an experience, the ability to fill a void, you know, all of those things. Um, it's a mindset that comes in handy. I, I think whether they want to be in innovation or they just want to better understand it. They're going to have to have an innovative mind and those skill sets to be competitive. I don't care if it's in finance or operations. You still have to have, you know, automation and how do you make your ops better, right? You still have to have these thought processes. And I think, you know, I tell them, you know, you can differentiate yourself from a lot of people that are really good at what you do in the industry you're in by having a very different mindset on how things can be better based on need. And if there's a process you can pull, tools that you can utilize, or just opens your mind up to looking at everything a little bit different, I think it'd be well worth it. And it's it's been a well-received class. I mean, it fills up uh, every year. It's got good recognition. And I think a lot of it has to do with it, it's, it's different than any of the classes they have. Um, but they definitely come out of it with a mindset of things can be better no matter what. And how do I, how do I get that in place? Cause the biggest thing they, they don't know how to do is where to start. 
right? An idea is an idea, but it's easy. How do you how do you get it to implementation and then prove it out? So that's it's a powerful one. Yeah, have you had any of these um, uh, student groups uh, end up? building a startup from things they started in your class? Yeah, just two, right? So in one, it was really, they, they patented the work, um, they got it out there, they, they built out a, and then they sold it quickly. They didn't really start the company, it was more of the, of the product. It was a group that came out with um, the problem they were looking at where people want to learn how to use handguns, but are, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed, go to a shooting range, buy a gun. There was a lot of that in place. And so they did a really good job of kind of building out this, this augmented and reality uh, where it was, you know, they had the lens and they built a a mock gun that was the same size and weight and, and all of this stuff. And the training happened virtually and they would go through, you know, shooting and the targets. It was very well conceived. And and you can see that they had an idea. They could actually yep. figure this out. And they did. They did a very good job. And they sold it. Um, and I can't remember the name of the group that had bought the rights to it. Uh, they worked with patent attorneys and got, I think there was a utility patent in there. There was two design patents. So that was one that was pretty cool because I, you can see the usefulness of it. Yeah. Um, there was another one that uh, was working with restaurants and they started putting together kind of this for bartenders, um, a alcohol, um, blood, you know, blood alcohol level. And how do you test that for, for customers? Because they worked with bartenders. That was one of the biggest risks they deal with. And, all. and it was really good. I think they got to the point of filling out some patent work. They worked with a couple of scientists locally to be able to figure a lot of this out. They went pretty far. And then again, they sold the rights to it. So nobody has started up a company and gone. Not probably enough time in that semester to do so. But just a couple <laughs> of them came out, which was nice. Tell me a little bit about the, the PhD you're pursuing, what, what you can tell me, and, yeah. and how it applies to this. Yeah, no. So the, the doctoral program that UNC Charlotte started a couple of years ago, it's a DBA program. And um, I'm about a year and a half and I've got one more semester and then dissertation work. The focus that I had going in adjusted a little bit, but but really the research that I'm focusing on now and working on is is that impact of the future. It's it's AI and digital's impacts for the future. What we're look future skills what we're starting to look at and narrowing down, because I'm realizing as you're going through these programs, what started as a grandiose idea to do research on is going to get narrowed down probably 20 fold. Right? So it's getting into a point of, of kind of that brick laying. And where I'm focusing now is I'm looking at uh, top 40, top 50 um, digital entrepreneurs and this, and the, the talent that they're bringing in, does it match with what, and as we have a lot of research on, the skills that are needed in you know tomorrow's AI and digital world, are they hiring them? So we're doing screen scraping. Um, we're doing content analysis from job posting, core value statements and everything on these sites to kind of see what that match is and how far off they are. And so we're digging in with a lot of them now. We've got a couple of companies in Charlotte. Yeah, they want to, they wanted, as we're doing this work with them, they want to go past it and look more longitudinal about how these employees, if hired, you know, how they do, what are their skill sets, to kind of start getting better at who they're asking for and the kind of talent they're going to get in these companies. So it's, it's starting, I would say, in the last four or five months, narrowed down very well. Um, the research is broad. There's a lot of research out there uh, on the technical side for digital entrepreneurs. But when it comes to 
the kind of talent, the psychological capital, emotional intelligence, all these pieces that we know are important, uh, how good at companies are securing this talent. And, and if they do, uh, is it the right talent? So that's that's what a lot of the focus is. Um, so again, one more semester of, of residence work and then um, dissertation by this time next year. Yeah, it kind of made me think about, you know, one of the things that we try to, to teach our clients or anybody really is about disruption hunting, right? What are the yeah. signs yeah. that an industry or a business is ripe, right, yeah. for someone to come in and change things? Well, yeah. uh, what do you tell your students about that kind of, if, if you do? Yeah, I mean, and we don't talk about that a ton. I, I think usually it's, I, it's a good one to hit on, though. I, I've been more... Um, responsive to them. They're coming from multiple industries. And usually, you know, it's trying to get them to speak to that, you know, trying to get them to think about what do they see the triggers? Like, where is the puck? You know, where are you skating to? Where's your company? Where's your industry going towards? What do you see coming out as, as major change? And it, you know, it can't be regulatory change, right? That's, you try to do innovation just because of regulatory change, you've got some problems. So just trying to get them to think a little bit differently. I haven't, provided, I think is what your question is, Justin, I haven't provided a, hey, here's a way to think about with with particular industries, how to look for triggers, how to look for change, how to look for disruption. I'm trying to see if they can kind of pull it out and see it themselves. And it usually takes a while through the semester for us talking about true innovation, not just a product development, but true innovation for them to know, okay, that happened because of this disruption. Or, you know, we were the disruptors because we turned it on its head. And so then they start really showing me that they're seeing it in a whole different color. And, and that's yeah. more of the lines I've taken as opposed to the, the proactive side. Yeah, I guess most of your students, right, they're, they're if they're working, especially, they, they are very focused on where they're going to start looking for, for innovation opportunities. Correct. And, and, you know, and the piece that I try to give them is say, you know, cause a lot of them are bright, right? They, they see the disruption, they see the opportunity, they've been close enough to the products or services of their company or their industry, and they have ideas. They have no idea what to do with it after that. Right. Like we have ideas. And so I, you know, I try to give as much advice on intercompany innovation. Say you're not part of the innovation team, but how do you, how do you move an idea? How do you sell it? How do you prepare it? Um, how do you use this process to really organize and document it? And so a lot of those times it's, it's, they have an idea and they don't know what to do with it because they understand the disruption and maybe what it could be. Um, and then, you know, we go from there. So that's been kind of nice when they bring those examples in, you can kind of give them some guidance on that. And then they start working through it themselves because a lot of it is just, it's frozen, you know? So, so break down that process for me a little bit. It's a very high level. Like if someone says, how do I move an innovation idea through my company? Yeah. The first thing I tell them is you've got to, you've got to do a little bit of legwork, right? You've got to do a little bit of research to understand why and answer the question of why would anybody care to hear what you're about to say? And, and a lot of that has to do with documenting the need, documenting the, the, the open need that is there that this will fill. That's one. The second thing I tell them, make sure you've done enough of your research to understand that it's even feasible, not, not what it is, the design or any of that, but it's feasible and that it can fill, you know, potentially that need. And so I tell them that you start with that and you start with that aspect of it and make sure the folks you're bringing it to, whether there's an innovation group there or your leadership or a strategic group that's in charge of, you know, alliances or what have you, just make sure it's, it's not just an idea verbally, but you've put some legwork into it. You've answered some of the early questions of, you know, who, and why, and, and you know, why is this different? 
prior to getting into the design of what this concept could, you know, can really be, how is it going to look and feel, but just get into enough of the meat where you've captured their attention. And if you captured folks' attention that they now believe, and that's why I, again, love your story path, they get the story of it started out as there's a problem, there's a need, here's why I have a potential idea that can close that need. I just need to now take that and start flushing that out and refining it. But you've got to capture that first part of the story. So I talked to them about documenting that and finding the right people in their particular company to be able to have that, that pitch and not just here's a problem, but you know, here's what I've really thought through and why it's going to help in general. Yeah. And so in, in your history, before you had this all worked out for yourself, did you have a moment where you, perhaps didn't do this the right way? And, and what happened? Oh, a ton of times. Yeah, a lot of times it was me trying to push the rock up the hill and mad that nobody else understood, right? So it was, you know, it was, again, it was timing. And I've made that mistake numerous times. I've also made the mistake of not innovating big enough, right? Believing that I can just, it's just an enhancement and then we'll build from there. You get the propeller plane up and then you build from there. But stopping at the propeller plane, right? So, I mean, those yep. kind of mistakes, I, I, you know, constant. The other one I tell them all the time is you can't take it personal. Um, it's hard because you can be working on something for a year and a half and then it just doesn't go uh, or it's lost its timing or it's been outpaced or the funding or whatever it is. The thick skin, which I wasn't born with and it kind of built over time way too slow. Um, yep. That's another component that you just have to be able to get past. It's it's it'll happen with the right documentation, the right, you know, the right ownership. Um, but having that thick skin is key. So, yeah, I've I've tried to push things along way too quick. Um, I've tried to push things along to the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, and then, you know, also you get to a point where you understand it so well that the innovation's there and it can be powerful. If somebody's got a different agenda, you got to figure out how to get past that or to be able to adjust to it. But fighting through it's not an easy task. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to just say, like, if you have one word of advice for someone who maybe is in an enterprise that is a little stale or in an industry that, right, is ripe for disruption from the outside. Yeah. Uh, what do you tell them? I tell them take a swing. I mean, it. There's a, I've got a thing in my office with Babe Ruth, and it says, don't let the fear of striking out get in your way. Just take a cut. What are they going to do? Kick your dog. Or, I mean, just take the cut, see what it is. Uh, you never know. And that's what I, I mean. I tell people that constantly. I, I like building. I like looking for new stuff. So if you've got an idea, just take a swing. It, it's not going to hurt to take a swing. If you just let the bat sit on your shoulder, you're not going to get a hit. Sure. So that, that's the biggest thing I push, especially with innovators or entrepreneurs. It's take your cut. Yeah. And I think, too, I think we, you know, we talk to people about you have to have a portfolio of yeah. ideas, right? Yes. Yes. Talk about not taking something personally. It's really tough when you have one idea to not take <laughs> yeah. it, to not yeah, take it personally. Yeah, on this one. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> and some build on them, but you're right. And, it, and it's a, it's also a proof of that you ha you're able to think differently and not just about one stuck on one thing. You're right. It's a portfolio of ideas. It's taking the swings. Some of them are bigger swings than others, but it doesn't hurt to take the cut as long as you've got the background on it that it makes sense. Yeah. And systems are chaotic, right? You can't oh, yeah. predict that even, you know, we, we've talked about it earlier, all of the factors that need to be aligned to make something right. take off and really, you know, yeah. move, yeah. Uh, move an industry, especially if it's something that large and move 
behavior at scale. Yes. Uh, you know, if you can do that once out of 10 times, you are uh, man. really yeah. getting somewhere. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it does. Everything's got to fall into place. Like you mentioned earlier, the value and timing and it's it's all got to fall into place. Right. Even small pieces in the design or the timing or the or the conversation can throw it off. But you're right. It's and it's getting that quantity out there with quality behind it. But the quantity has got to be there. To your point It has to be right on. Well, is there any other parting thoughts you'd like to leave people with, John? Um, I mean, I think the and I appreciate your time, Justin. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, it's the, I think the more innovative minds we can get out there, uh, I think the better. I think the the more we can figure out how to how to work with things like AI and some of these other new uh, analytics and technologies that are coming. I think the better, and you know, excited to get more and more people involved in the space thinking thinking like this. So it's been I appreciate your time on it. Yeah, sure. And I appreciate you, you know, uh, giving more exposure to my book. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk to the students about it. I mean, and, you know, I've got a a couple of slides that really just lay out how you do it. And, you know, company names right there with it. I'm going to tell them, look, this is a pretty creative way of going about it. So they're going to know exactly um, the thought process. And I'll tell them, I said, I always look for ways to to really teach this. And and to me, it's it's just perfect the way it lays out. So I'm excited to share it with you. Great. So, uh, and uh, I do have uh, my brother and sister-in-law live in Charlotte. So hopefully someday they can uh, come down and I'll, I'll, you know, buy you a beer. Oh, don't hesitate. You come down, I'll buy you the beer. Right on. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks, Justin. Have a good rest of the week. You too. This has been another episode of Brilliant. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Brilliant is a production of Manani, an experienced design and strategy firm. To learn more, visit magnani.com. And as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, we've released a new book, Innovate, Activate, Accelerate, a 30-day boot camp for your business brain. It's available on Amazon, and you can find out more at manani.com slash book. 